Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello, everyone. My name is Umar Hamid. I'm your host on the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategy, and advice on how you can become better, stronger, faster. Just before we get started, I've got a question for you. Do you have a negative voice inside your head? We all do, right? I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, I'm privileged to have uh, Casey Brown joining me here today, and she is the co-founder of The Psychology of Selling Value. And the thing that really intrigues me about that is value is in the eyes of the beholder, and oftentimes, us as the purveyors, we see less value in what we offer. Casey, this is going to be a great conversation. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much. I'm pleased to be here. You know, in one of my early episodes on this podcast, I was interviewing a gentleman by the name of Carl Saar, and he's a sculptor. And he was telling me a story about being at this art show, and he's got this beautiful metal sculpture, and this guy comes over and says, how much is that? And Carl goes, that's uh, $15,000. And the guy says, $15,000? And Carl is thinking, oh my God, I've wrecked this sale. I'm charging too much. I should like give a discount. When the guy actually was thinking of, this is a freaking bargain. This is such an awesome piece. And uh, luckily, he kept his mouth shut and made the sale rather than discount the price. But uh, so Casey, tell me, what are you seeing out there? Well, uh, this podcast is not long enough for me to tell you all the stories I have that mirror that one uh, exactly. And it's through really every aspect of, of, of commerce through B2B, B2C, B2G, nonprofits. I have stories just like that where we as the sellers are more price sensitive on behalf of the buyer than the buyer is. We doubt our own value and and the, the buyer uh, gives us all kinds of signals. And sometimes it's just a pause as the story you just told. And sometimes it's it's negotiation tactics. Uh, but in any case, we, we are often the most price sensitive person in the conversation, not the customer. Absolutely. It turns out that, you know, our uh, beliefs around money and our relationship around money determines how we see the world and how we show up in the world. Like oftentimes uh, in a workshop, I will ask people, you know, I'm going to suggest what your annual income should be. And I start low and I work up higher and higher and higher. And then I ask people, you know, what did it feel like or any thoughts that came up when I said things that were lower than what you earn right now? And some people go, you know, how dare you? And some people like, ah, that's not me. And they just dismiss it or get angry about it. And then when I get to kind of what they're earning, what I hear most often is, eh, that's okay. I feel comfortable. That's a comfortable comfort zone around money. And then when it gets slightly higher, they feel excited and motivated, like, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. And then when I get a lot higher than they're used to, then they tell me, uh, I was thinking, you know, if I'm earning that amount of money, I'll be working all the time. My kids will turn to drugs. My wife will leave me and all the stories we tell ourselves. So how does our belief around money and self-worth impact how we ask for value for the things we offer? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think there's a lot of internal beliefs uh, that really show up in how we sell value and how we price. Uh, it, it has a lot of effect. And I think that when we sell uh, whatever we're selling, goods or services, uh, it, it starts to really show up as affecting what we believe about our self-worth. And sometimes, and, and you, in your story, you're talking about when we got the value significantly over what we're earning today, there started to come in some real discomfort. And I think for some folks, asking for a lot 
there it triggers a bit of an imposter syndrome. Oh my gosh, they're going to find out I'm really not that good. Uh, I'm just, uh, you know, this this poor kid from the wrong side of the tracks. I can't, you know, I can't possibly ask for that. Or I, you know, these numbers that uh, feel shockingly large to us, given how we grew up or uh, what we know ourselves to be on the inside when we have self worth issues, really start to get triggered. And so this is where pricing ostensibly on the surface is a pretty mechanical exchange of value, but is really tied to some really deeper issues about mindset and about self, uh, self-worth self and, and deep beliefs, deeply held beliefs about who we are. So why don't you give us, so we can actually put this into uh, some kind of perspective of a client that you were working with. You can change the name to protect the innocent, but this is what the situation was. This is what they thought the value was, and this is how I helped them, and this is what the value became. So give me one of those, and I'm going to ask deeper questions about that client to get a deeper understanding of the issue, so be prepared. Trying to choose wisely here. What's that? I want to choose wisely. Choose the the client wisely. Mm. Okay. So I I worked with a a small organization. Uh, It was just two members of of the company, and they were educational consultants. They worked with schools. Uh, it was a very much a mission-driven organization. So it was a for-profit organization, but they very much believed in helping schools and they wanted to support those schools in, in becoming better at educational uh, performance. And there were a lot of issues around this. So one was that their customers had fixed budgets, finite budgets, didn't have necessarily a budget for educational consultants. And so that was an issue But another thing was that they were so driven by their mission that sometimes they had uh, what I call head trash around really charging what they're worth because they wanted to help everyone. And so putting an appropriately high price tag on the value that they created was just uncomfortable for them because they felt like it was greedy or gouging to charge a fair price for all the value that they created. And so uh, what were they charging and how did you help them to really determine the true value? Uh, so they had a, a, f- a fixed fee pricing model uh, that was uh, that was variable depending on the size of the school district and depending on the size of the scope of the project. And so that's a little uh, complicated to answer simply. Uh, and in the model itself, the structure of the pricing itself wasn't problematic, but the numbers were way too low. They were working themselves to the bone. They were working... 70, 80, 90 hours a week, and they weren't really making enough money for the value that they were were creating. And so how I helped them was less around figuring out what the numbers should be, although we did get there. Where we really had to start was dealing with the mindset around you're, you're creating a tremendous amount of value for these school districts. You're helping them achieve their goals. It is mm-hmm. fair and appropriate to charge for that. And furthermore, as an organization, if you aren't charging fairly for this, then this robs your ability to serve these organizations in the future. So it isn't gouging, it isn't greedy, it isn't taking advantage of anyone. So it was really the the biggest obstacle for them wasn't knowing what number to put on a proposal. It was dealing with their own internal story around fairness and around mission, the mission of their work and how how to connect those dots. So how did you get them to change their mindset? 
uh, through uh, a series of, of meetings and, and work and, and uncovering and asking questions and, and sharing some of the kind of things we're talking about now, but in a, in a deeper way and over more time. So and just a, just a little bit more about that, Umar, that they didn't they didn't know what they believed about that. It was hidden. Absolutely. It's, it's it unclear hidden. to them yeah. uh, what's going on inside us. We can see it clearly in other people, but it's really hard to see it in ourselves. And, you know, that's why God invented spouses, because <laughs> they hold up the mirror very, very easily. Kids, too, and teenage kids. Yeah, they, they were not clear about their own beliefs about pricing and what, it, what their stuff was worth. And their belief was, and, and this I see a lot in clients, that... Uh, pricing isn't in our hands, that the market sets the price, we're just doing the best we can in the face of competitors and comp and, and customers, and, and that that's a market condition. And the reality is we as the sellers have a lot more power than we believe. If we have uh, excellent products and services, if we deliver excellence to our customers, then we deserve to be paid like we're excellent. And most often the big, biggest obstacle to that is our own belief system stopping us short and what we will and what we will charge. It reminds me of the Henry Ford quote, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And, and what I find with my clients is the biggest obstacle to charging more for the excellence they provide is not a better understanding of their financials or a market study or, or you know, a deep dive into, into customer uh, value prop or anything. It's their own story about value, about fairness, about worth, about uh, it's, it's a fear driven decision oftentimes. So let me, uh, hold up a hypothesis. So are you, you're familiar with Tony Robbins, I guess. Yes. Have you ever been to one of his events? I haven't. Uh, and they've also got landmark and other programs like that, that are designed to help you become better in all those amazing ways. So let's pick a Tony Robbins event. I've only been to one and I want to see, you know, see him before he like dies or something. And I would have like missed out. So I went to see him in Chicago. There were 17,000 people in the audience for three or four days and people were going nuts and they were on fire, literally walked on fire. But when you think about when people went back home, how quickly did they revert back to their old way of being and how many people were truly transformed? And I suspect the people that were truly transformed would have been a small number the people that changed some things, but not everything would have been a larger number. And there would have been a, a significant number that basically went back to their normal lives and didn't change anything. Is that a fair statement? I, I, yeah, I, I've never been to one of the events, but given other kinds of um, uh, similar types of experiences, yeah, that, I think that's probably fair. So when you talk about value to people and you kind of uh, let them realize, you know, hey, you're thinking this way, it's not helping. So how do you make the change go deeper so it's not just like, a, okay, Casey gave, because sometimes it's like Casey gave me permission to charge a higher price. As long as they get the higher price, that's all that matters. So the question I'm asking you is, do they truly get transformed all the time? Or sometimes is it that, you know, Casey's got my back and she's, I'm charging because it's Casey's fault. Like it's almost sometimes we can... So I'll give you one more example and I'll flip it over to you. I'm not sure if you've got a friend like this, but if they go to buy a car, they're going to be like meek as lambs and take whatever deals offered to them. But if they went as your buddy for you to buy a car, then they're like freaking ferocious. And they're like, oh my God, you can't charge that much. So people that transform, is it because they use you as an excuse or do you think there's true transformation happening? Well... Look, I would love to tell you it's true transformation 100% of the time. I'm, I like to live in the real world, though, and I think that uh, the reality is it's probably a bit more like that Tony Robbins situation, that there are some people that, that see something brand new for, 
for themselves in terms of the reality of their own limitations and it changes the way they sell forever. And, uh, and they're paid for value in a different way forever. And that those moments that, that I experience that and the feedback I get about that is enough to keep me going forever. I think there are the middle pocket of folks that, that it makes a difference some of the time. And that's also a very worthy reason to keep going. And then there are people where maybe on a somewhat temporal, somewhat transactional basis, it makes a little bit of a difference and then it maybe dribbles away. That's a, um, you know, as a, as a person committed to transformation as I am, it's, it's somewhat disappointing to feel like I maybe could have made a bigger difference there, but uh, it doesn't change my commitment. And uh, well, absolutely. And I, I think sometimes for, for ways to improve not only the message that I deliver, but how I deliver it and uh, working on new formats and new tools and new content to, to do, to make what I do not a one and done, but something that reinforces and drives change on a more profound and, and substantial and long-term basis. Absolutely. You know, I'm a firm believer in useful lies and I really believe everything I know is a model mm-hmm. and that by definition is, is not the truth. And I, as you, I'm learning all the time to kind of tweak the model to make it better. But uh, if for some unknown reason, I convinced you that you couldn't fail in this next meeting and you truly uh, happen to be a really good hypnotist, look into my eyes. But if you went there and you got the result you wanted, who cares whether it was true or not? And as you help people charge the right amount, if they use you as a talisman, like I'm doing this because Casey said this, that's all that matters is they get the change that they want. And so let's kind of dig in deeper to how do we, how do we see value? Like, do you have like a, a metaphor for seeing value that you might use inside your head to see the true value of something? Can you ask that question in, in a slightly different way so I understand what you're getting at? Sure. Uh, like some people are obsessed with baseball. You may know a couple of them. And they know every single stat that was ever invented for baseball. And if they're in, let's say, uh, a regular business situation and you ask them to charge this value for this, they might go, well, you know, the market and the competition and da 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 and they'll uh, justify whatever they believe. But if you knew they were obsessed with baseball, you could go, you know, this particular player was traded for this amount of money. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And they would say, Casey, you do not understand. This person is a god and he's amazing. Okay. And all of a sudden and- they'll realize that they see value in baseball, mm-hmm. but they have a different set of rules when they look at business. And sometimes sure. uh, seeing the dissonance between the two gives them insights. So, oh my God, it's all a mindset thing. So Absolutely. what example do you give to get people to understand that? Well, I, I love the question. And now that I understand what's behind it, it's, it's, uh, it's really ringing true for me. Like you, I think a, a useful lie uh, is, is or, or, or better said, I love metaphors. I use them all the time in my workshops. I love games. I love taking people out of their specific daily life. I sell industrial lubricants. I sell IT services. I, sell, I don't care what you sell. That isn't really, we're not going to solve this by diving into what you sell. Let's take a step back. And so to, to answer your questions very specifically, there are a couple of things we do in the workshop that really have a, a light bulb moment go off for people that are, are metaphors. One is uh, that we play a game, a price is right game. Uh, 
where I have people uh, with these question and answer kind of polling uh, devices answer the price about a whole bunch of different items. And they get some right and they get some wrong and there's a lot of laughing and there's some jokes that we tell about it and it's, it's a lot of fun. Everyone knows the price of, of certain items and an example would be gasoline. Pretty within, you know, a couple of pennies and it's because uh, folks are driving a lot, they're filling up once or twice a week, everyone knows the price of that. There's some other prices they have absolutely no idea. And it's because they never buy those products hardly ever. If they need them once every four years, they throw it in the cart and they don't know if it costs 90 cents or $3.90. And the idea is, and, and you know, that's tennis balls or, or hot sauce or salt. The idea is that every business has gasoline and salt in their business, in their portfolio right. products and services. And we go through this discussion. But the problem is we're so close to our own businesses, we can't tell the difference between the gasoline and the salt, but our customers have no idea. Let's throw it in the cart, move on. And this is one of these moments where, in the workshop, people start furiously writing down, you know, their their salt in their business. They've just been extrapolating the price sensitivity of the gasoline to the salt. They they think everybody's watching everything like a hawk, but they're not. They're watching the gasoline. They're not watching the salt. So there's a lot of unexercised pricing power in the fringes of our business, and and that's just one metaphor. Another one is, um, you know, we we've got, you know, where are you priced like a like a like a you know, where are you priced like a Yaris, but you're the Lexus of your industry? Or maybe just the premium package against the base package. Anywhere we have even a slight premium offering, we want to make sure we're extracting a premium price for it. Nice. So if there was one piece of advice you'd give people to reevaluate the value of their offering, what would be a couple of questions they need to ask themselves to make sure they're at the right level? What problem do you solve for your customers? What problem mm-hmm. do they face that you uniquely solve in a different way? And it may be that your, your product or service is different. It may be how you sell or serve it that's different. It may be that you're, you're faster, you give better service. You're, so it's really diving into value uh, specifically for the customers that you serve. And I think this has got to be really tailored because customer A is different than customer B is different than customer C. It's really diving deeply into really understanding your differentiation. And if you're even a fraction of a centimeter better than the other guy, then why wouldn't you charge a little bit more? And one of the pitfalls I see, because I work with a lot of best-in-class and better-in-class companies, is that they are already at a price premium. And they tell me that. I'm already charging more. I'm already the most expensive. Well, great. Are you more expensive enough? Where are, why are you limiting the premium that you're earning? I would, I would inspect why you believe you aren't able to charge more. And I would encourage companies to go in a, in a risk mitigated way to charge more for what they're already selling. Brilliant. Casey, thanks so much for sitting down with me today. I really appreciate it. It was a great conversation and I got a lot of value out of it. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be with you. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming and that is the fastest way to get better results. 